With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I know today is Nat Monday. This episode is going to be releasing on Tuesday, July 6th, but today's episode is another Missing Monday. Due to the holiday weekend, or that's what I'm blaming it on, I got a little bit behind on recording and editing, so here we are on a Tuesday. But for those who are new to our podcast, welcome. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created by Kenzie and I to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. On this segment of Missing Mondays, I will be giving you the details on Michaela Bali. Michaela Bali was a 16-year-old high school student who attended school at Sacred Heart High School in Yorkton, Saskatchewan in Canada. Now, Yorkton to some would be considered a small town, to others maybe not, but they had roughly around 20,000 residents and are a fairly close-knit community. Michaela was described to be a kind and gentle person who often was shy and quiet. She was very much an introvert, and in an interview, her mom said that she was a bookworm who loved to read. One of her favorite series was The Hunger Games, which is one I also love. She played the violin, she had dreams of becoming a teacher or a veterinarian, and she also enjoyed playing video games. Michaela also had a dog named Angel that she loved to train to do new tricks. She sometimes would date, and her most recent boyfriend she had she broke up with in early 2016, but the two remained friends. However, according to some of her friends, Michaela liked to meet people online, and there were at least four different guys she had friended online that she was talking to frequently. Michaela was the oldest in her family and had two younger siblings that she was very close with. Overall, from everything I have seen, Michaela's family was a very close-knit family. Her mom was a single mom and worked hard to provide for her and her siblings. Her aunt was also very active and involved in her life as well. When it came to school, she typically kept to herself hanging out with only a small handful of close friends. When in school, she would be seen with her friends Shelby, Oksana, and Amy. According to a CBC News article, the girls would often hang out by the smoke pit doors during lunchtime, which this was located at the rear entrance and was where the kids who smoked would go to hang out, talk about music, and gossip about teachers. Her friends said that though they hung out back there, Michaela wasn't a smoker. 
April 12, 2016 started off as a routine day for Michaela and her mother, Paula. The two of them would wake up most days together and then they would spend their morning routine of hair and makeup chatting about things that were happening and their plans for the upcoming days. In an interview, Paula recalls that it was just an ordinary morning and that she gave off no signs of anything being wrong. When she left the home, she called out to her aunt, Bye, Auntie. I love you. According to CBC News, Michaela's grandmother drove her to school and dropped her off sometime between 8.10 a.m. and 8.20 a.m. Around 3.40 p.m. is when school gets out and Michaela's grandmother was there to pick her up and to take her to her music lessons, which began at 4 p.m. As the minutes ticked by, Michaela's grandmother became a little bit antsy. Michaela wasn't coming out, maybe she was inside. And according to Daniel Hallen, her grandmother ended up going inside of the school to look for her, and she ran into some people that she recognized. And they ended up telling her that Michaela hadn't been there at all that day for any of her classes. Her grandmother left the school and instantly went to Michaela's mom work to tell her what was going on. A co-worker of Paula's approached her and told her there was a family emergency and her mother was there for her, which Paula instantly knew something seriously must be wrong because her mom never just showed up at her work. They ended up going back to the high school and Paula began frantically searching the school grounds for her daughter. She recalls in an interview with the Global News Canada that she was so frantic that she was even looking under buses yelling her daughter's name. They decided that maybe Michaela had left school and gone to her music class early. She had a big recital coming up that she was practicing for the night before that she was so excited about. And maybe in the middle of all of her excitement, she forgot to call and let her grandmother know that she didn't need a ride. So they went to where her lessons were. And again, she wasn't there. At this point, Paula rushes home to see if maybe Michaela had taken anything from the house. Her line of thought began shifting to maybe she ran away and maybe she decided to do what some 16-year-old girls do and run from home. Now, Michaela's mom was a single mom and she often kept a large sum of cash in the home for emergencies and Michaela actually knew that this money was there. When her mom got to the house, she realized that every single dollar from her cash stash was still there. So she knew that Michaela didn't take her money and run. She felt that something more sinister happened. They went into her room and checked things over and they found that most of her belongings were still there. Her makeup and acne medication was there, which this is kind of a huge deal in their eyes because Michaela was extremely self-conscious about her acne. So she always made sure that she wore makeup and she always made sure that she never missed a dose of her acne medication. They also found that her cell phone charger was still there, which being a teenage girl, if she had planned to be gone for long, you would think that she would have taken her cell phone charger with her, especially since she was always in communication with her friends. Around 8 p.m. after frantically searching the area, texting and calling with no replies, the family decided to make a police report. So naturally, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or also known as RCMP, began their investigation into where Michaela was. They requested the surveillance footage from the high school as well as the surrounding area. 
While waiting for that, they began questioning her friends and teachers at the school about if they saw her that day or anything out of the ordinary. They learned that on April 11th, the day before she went missing, Michaela went to lunch with her friends Shelby and Oksana. Both of the girls recall Michaela talking about going somewhere. They said that maybe it was a place called Moose Jaw or Prince Albert. But other students had mentioned that she had talked about going to Regina for a vacation with her family, which Regina was about two hours away from where she lived. Shelby also mentioned that maybe it was Saskatoon that she had talked about. The girls said that at the time, they didn't think anything of this conversation. They had often talked about leaving the town to go to a bigger one because they just wanted more than what their little town had to offer. It didn't have anything amazing. They felt that the shopping was lackluster and they wanted to be a part of that bigger city vibe. So when the conversation took place, it seemed like typical Michaela talk. Obviously, though, after her disappearance, they began questioning if maybe there was something more that she wasn't saying. After the RCMP spoke with her friends, they went around to the school and spoke with some of the teachers to ask about Michaela and how her attitude was the day before she went missing. The teacher of the class that Michaela had directly after lunch said that Michaela came into class acting a little bit off. However, the teacher kind of chalked this up to her being a moody teenager. Coming back from lunch can be a struggle and a lot of kids wander into class with a similar attitude. Other classmates of Michaela's also recalled her talking about going to Regina on vacation with her family. So with this many people speaking up about her talking about going or wanting to go to various different places, it certainly raises some red flags in my mind. And I'm sure your mind that maybe she did decide to skip town. I will say though that I am so stuck on the fact that her cell phone charger was left behind as well as that acne medication when she had those insecurities. But you never know, maybe she decided to run off on a whim and forgot those things in her rush to leave. One of her friends, Shelby, however, said that Michaela had been recently talking about a guy named Josh. Apparently while they were out to lunch the day before she went missing, Shelby actually asked Michaela about Josh, and Michaela either completely ignored her or didn't hear her, but either way, Michaela didn't give up any kind of information about who this person was or where he was from. He wasn't someone that went to school with them, and it is believed that Michaela had actually met him online. And again, this is something that Michaela had often done. She used multiple different apps for messaging. She would meet people online from Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook, and they would talk and become friends. As I stated, Michaela struggled with some insecurities over her acne and had been bullied, so she felt more comfortable meeting and talking to boys online than she did in her own school. It was reported that Michaela also used a messaging app called Kick. With Kick, it's just like text messaging. However, the messages aren't logged through your data plan. So essentially, you can talk to someone and the messages can never be recovered. And in my opinion, this is such a dangerous thing when considering children and who they are potentially meeting online. Not only did she meet guys from Canada, but she had also been communicating with at least one person from the United States. Another one of Michaela's friends came forward that in the days before she went missing, Michaela had been talking about a guy named Christopher that was apparently coming to meet her. 
The day before, she also texted her friend Oksana around 4.30 in the afternoon asking if she would be willing to take her to the bank the following day. She had told her that it was extremely important and that she really needed to go. Oksana agreed that she would take her the next day. According to a CBC News article, after this text message, Michaela went on to call the TD Bank customer service line three times between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. So it's clear that whatever she needed at the bank was something that was important to her if she's insisting on going the following day and making three calls to the customer service line. During one of these calls, she checked her balance and then transferred $25. The article didn't indicate whether she transferred the $25 from a savings to a checking or from a checking to a savings or if she transferred the money completely to a different person. However, I'd assume that if she had sent money to someone else that would have been followed up on and or mentioned throughout media sources. So I'm going to assume that the money transfer was between two of her own accounts. Between 8.50 p.m. and 9.30 p.m., Michaela was texting some of her friends and her ex-boyfriend. One text that she had sent to her friend Amy was that she needed help, but when Amy responded asking what she needed help with, Michaela never responded. She also messaged Shelby, which this is where I get a little bit confused because there isn't a whole lot of details about this actual conversation, but according to CBC News, she texted her saying something about a boy and how she felt bad for someone and she was crying. I'm not sure if they ever identified who she felt bad for or what, but that's certainly an interesting part of the story. After texting with Amy, she texted an ex-boyfriend, and in her text messages to him, she told him that she was unhappy and talked about wanting to go to Regina. So it's clear that something behind the scenes was going on with Michaela. She's talked about being unhappy. She's sad about something. She's spoken of several different places she wanted to leave and go for a visit, and she's talked about a couple different guys. The following morning, the day she went missing, she texted Oksana at 6.41 a.m. asking her if she could take her to the bank now, which Oksana replied letting Michaela know that the bank likely didn't open until 8 a.m. The response that Oksana got back was, quote, well, how are you going to take me? Which which I'm not sure if she was mad that Oksana wouldn't take her right then or if she was stressed about something along the lines of getting there in general, but this text message almost reads as someone who is irritated. But everyone knows it's hard to know someone's tone in a text message, so who knows how Michaela truly meant it. Michaela's grandmother dropped her off at school between 8.10 and 8.20 a.m. Now, Michaela was actually spotted on the school's surveillance camera at 8.22 a.m., She's at her locker putting a binder inside and then is seen exiting the building at the back entrance of the school at 8.26 a.m. When Michaela didn't show up for her first period class, her ex-boyfriend, who was also in the class, texted to see where she was. When Michaela finally replied, she was already on the other side of town, according to CBC News. And I'm not sure if it was ever released what her reply was back to the ex-boyfriend. But basically, after authorities saw that she left school, they decided to round up all the CCT footage from any of the businesses in town that they could get. Michaela's moves were tracked pretty well thanks to the many surveillance cameras throughout Yorkton. 
she was spotted on a convenience store's cameras walking along railroad tracks. She was next spotted outside of TD Bank. Michaela had actually arrived at the bank before they opened. At 8.51 a.m., she can be seen talking on the phone while waiting for the doors of the bank to open. She ends the call four minutes later when a teller finally allows her to enter the bank at 8.55 a.m. When authorities went to track who that call was to, they found out that that call and all of the calls that she would make during that day weren't logged by her phone carrier. And that is because, or likely because, she was using those messaging apps. While at the bank, she withdrew $55 from her account and then headed east towards Terry's Pawn and Bargain. She arrived there about 9 a.m. and she spoke with the owner, Terry Heaton, about getting some of her rings assessed. He told her that silver isn't worth much value and pretty much that he couldn't offer anything for her rings. He did tell authorities that she didn't seem to be in any kind of distress and that she was just a quiet girl. She also didn't seem upset or disappointed when he didn't offer her anything for her rings. She just left the store and headed south. Another store caught her walking towards a Tim Hortons where she enters the restaurant and inside Tim Hortons she approaches the counter and pays cash for a coffee. She then sits down at a booth across from the counter. Sitting beside her is her backpack that she had been carrying around all morning. Now this backpack looks like it's pretty full of stuff, looks weighed down and potentially heavy. Her friends later report to authorities that Michaela usually carried a purse to school and not a backpack, and I couldn't find whether her family could confirm that or if they knew why that day she would have chosen to take a backpack when normally she wouldn't, but the whole backpack situation is just something to consider when examining the whole case. Michaela spends 13 minutes inside the Tim Hortons sipping her coffee and playing on her phone. During this time, you can see her physically turn around and look towards the door several times as if she's checking to see if someone is coming in. She continues playing on her phone, and even at one point, it appears she stops texting and then takes her phone apart and then puts it back together. And again, you can only speculate as to why she would do that. Did she feel like maybe her phone wasn't sending or receiving text messages? Was she seeing if she could disassemble it for unknown purposes? I have so many questions about why she would do that. After putting the phone back together, she glances back at the door several more times. During the video, one thing that actually caught my eye is she's drumming her fingers on the table, which I I think most of us know that finger tapping or drumming is a very well-known form of body language. It is usually interpreted as someone who is nervous, irritated, impatient, or bored. Given the other cues that Michaela is giving during this video, I would take it she's either nervous, irritated, or impatient. To me, the vibe that I get from the video is that she is waiting for someone, but she could be nervous that she is going to get caught skipping school. Finally, at 9.23 a.m., Michaela is seen standing up, slinging her backpack over her shoulder, and she head towards a different door than the one that she entered from. 
This is the door that she is constantly looking over her shoulder at. She walks to this door, walks out, and then seconds later, she walks back in and across the restaurant to exit out the other door that she initially entered from. And again, I cannot help but wonder if she's checking that direction for whoever she was waiting for before deciding to leave the other way. She begins walking north and can be seen on surveillance cameras outside of the home hardware and then she goes out of view. She comes back into view outside of the home hardware at 9.42 a.m. and heading back towards the Tim Hortons where she goes inside again. As she's entering Tim Hortons, she's talking on the phone again, and this was at 9.49 a.m. She sits down at a different booth this time, sitting closer to a window and facing towards the door. She gets off the phone and sits there for 10 minutes texting or playing on her phone. She can be seen glancing out the window every so often, and again, it seems like she's waiting for someone or watching for someone. At 10.03 a.m., she puts headphones in, and at 10.12 a.m., she sends a text message to Shelby saying, quote, hey, I need help. Then over the course of 30 minutes, Michaela just sits there and is on and off her phone six times. During this time, she had texted Shelby a second time saying, quote, never mind, I figured it out. At some point, Michaela stands up to leave again, heading for the door. She exits Tim Hortons, and then not even two minutes later, she comes back inside the restaurant for a third time. She ends up sitting back down at the same booth she had just left from. Again, she is looking around. At 10.43 a.m., she stands up again and approaches an older woman who is sitting alone at a table nearby. They seem to be chatting for a few minutes, and then she gets back up, walks back over to the booth where she makes another phone call. She then goes to leave the restaurant still talking on the phone. The RCMP were able to track down this woman and asked her about their conversation. She states that Michaela had asked her for help renting a hotel room. Now, this woman wasn't sure if Michaela had just needed money or if she needed someone of age who could rent the room, but she told her no. So Michaela is seen leaving the restaurant, and this time she's walking towards the direction of her school. At 11.35 a.m., she actually sends Shelby a text again telling her that she will see her at lunch. At 11.59 a.m., she's back on the school's campus. While there, she tells two students about how she's going to take a bus for a vacation to Regina. One of these girls later tell police that she recalls Michaela actually having two phones with her that day, which brings up a good point that perhaps Michaela wasn't actually using these outside apps to communicate all this time that she's seen on surveillance footage, but instead, maybe she's using this second phone she was reportedly seen with. Three minutes later, surveillance catches Michaela for the last time. This time, she's walking back out of the school and rounding a corner where she steps out of view. After this point, there is no more surveillance footage of Michaela and her movements. However, there is a witness that stated that Michaela had arrived at the bus station like she had talked about while at the school. But there wasn't any surveillance at the bus station to positively identify if it truly was Michaela or not. From the sounds of it, though, it does sound like it was Michaela. She approached the person at the ticket stand and asked when the next bus for Regina was leaving. 
This was shortly after noon that day, and the ticket person told her it wouldn't be until 5 p.m. that the next bus would leave for Regina. She declined to buy a ticket and walked into the little cafe that the bus station had attached to it, and she bought herself some food and hung out over there for a little bit. She was reportedly seen leaving the bus station sometime between 1 and 1.45 p.m. The person who saw Michaela leave was able to describe to authorities a person that they saw her leave with. They stated that she had left the bus station with a man who had a flaming cross tattoo on the back of his forearm, which this seemed like the first big break in the case. They were able to have a drawing made up and splash it all across the news, hoping to generate some form of information. There was a man that came forward to police saying that he was at the bus station and he also had the flaming cross tattoo, but he was not leaving with Michaela. He was simply holding the door for her while she walked out of the bus station and the RCMP were able to confirm his story and he was ruled out. There has been zero activity on Michaela's phone, social media, or her bank. However, the following morning on April 13th at 6.51 a.m., Michaela's phone was powered off. Now, I'm not sure how authorities know that it was powered off opposed to dying on its own, but everything I am seeing, it's very specific that her phone was purposely powered off. In the months after she went missing, her friend Shelby routinely would send Snapchat messages to her, all of which would go unopened, until about three months later. The messages had appeared to have been viewed. Authorities couldn't confirm or deny whether this was Michaela or someone on Michaela's account viewing them, or if this was potentially just a malfunction with the app. Nobody had replied back to Shelby or anything, and the messages were just simply opened. One thing that is really frustrating in this case is that authorities in Canada were essentially waiting for 10 whole flippin' months before they were granted access to Michaela's social media accounts. Apparently, there is some sort of privacy law in the United States that kept the Canadian authorities from accessing this information. After tirelessly working to get the access they so desperately wanted and needed, they were finally granted access 10 months after she went missing. And had there been something super crucial on there, that's 10 whole months that had gone by before they could have even touched the stuff. And in my opinion, that's just awful. And I hope that since then to now that things have changed for the better because I can't imagine not knowing what could be on there for 10 months. When they finally were granted access, they found that all of her social media accounts were unactive, but something interesting that they found was that she had multiple Instagram accounts, which this isn't odd in itself because I myself have several, but what is odd is that one of the accounts that she owned had a decent following, but there was zero pictures on the account, which this led authorities to assume that maybe the pictures had all been deleted. What is unknown is if her friends or family actually knew about this account, but another thing to consider is that in the bio, all it simply said was goodbye, which leads me to believe she deleted the content that was on that page and changed the bio. Of course, I'm not sure, but it is super strange and just one more piece of the puzzle. 
Like I said earlier, it's unfortunate that it took 10 months before they were able to get this information, but thankfully in this case, there wasn't really much useful information, so they hadn't missed out on anything that was super crucial that could potentially solve the case. Police began wondering about Michaela's father and his whereabouts. Had she ran off to find him, or did they make contact somehow and plan for her to go with him? Some of her friends from school had differing stories from what she had told them about her father. Some had said that she had told him that he was dead, while others had said that she had wanted to find him and meet him, but she didn't know who he was. There was one man who made claims after Michaela went missing that he was her father, and his name is Rick Briott. Michaela's mother, however, said that there is no evidence that he is the father and wouldn't really comment beyond that. And I don't really blame her here because this is her personal business kind of being hashed out for all to see. But Rick was interviewed and he stated he had never made contact with Michaela, nor did he think she knew who he was. Not long after she disappeared, they interviewed him and then again three months later, they searched his home, his mother's home, and took DNA samples from him. He was ultimately cleared, however, he still remained interested in the case, believing that Michaela could be his daughter. I never saw if this was cleared up whether he was or was not her father, but I did see that Rick Briott did start his own Facebook page for Michaela to hopefully help spread awareness and to generate new tips. Though the RCMP have never stated if they had any kind of theories on what happened, they have said that they do not have any potential suspects at this point in their investigation. Michaela's mother, on the other hand, believes it's a possibility that she may have become a victim of human trafficking. Since she went missing, investigators have followed over 600 tips, including sightings in Scotland and Colombia all of which could never be confirmed. Michaela's mother does everything she can to try and keep her daughter's name out there. Michaela's 21st birthday was on July 2nd, and her mom celebrated by making a sweet post on her Facebook page. Be sure to look this page up on Facebook and show your love and support for her mama. You can find it by searching Let's Bring Michaela Bali Home. The family is also offering up a reward of $40,000 for information leading to her whereabouts. They are holding out hope that Michaela is out there somewhere alive and healthy. Michaela Bali was 16 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is 5'2 and has blue eyes and dark blonde hair. She has a dimpled chin and sometimes wears glasses. If you or anyone you know has information about Michaela's disappearance, you can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. You can also contact the Missing Children's Society of Canada at 1-800-661-6160. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children here in the United States is also one more location you can contact with information, and that number is 1-800-843-5678. If you haven't already joined our private Facebook group, be sure you do so by searching us at Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, I will have pictures and all information pertaining to this case, and we also encourage everyone in the group to share and post all things true crime. Also, check us out on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. Crimeaholics, that's all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. Mm